going to invite you to join with me, and the words will be on the screen, but Gospel of John, chapter 5, beginning in verse 31. Now, as I said that, I was really off base. One of the, let me back up for a moment. John chapter 5 is a long chapter, and it is all one scene. It's all one scene. It begins, as we, last week we did part A of this, Jesus and his disciples go to Jerusalem. They go, they're walking towards the temple. And there's, there is this place called, the, it's the Pool of Bethesda. And there are five porches there. And there are lame, leprous, sick people there of every kind. And Jesus is walking by, and there is a man there. And I don't know how the Apostle John knows it, whether we went and talked to this guy later or if the guy had a little, of course, they didn't have cardboard in those days, <laughs> a parched piece of my, saying, hey, I need your help. And, of course, those people are there. They're getting donations. They're getting donations. And Jesus walks up to this man, and it, the initial text is that he had been infirm for a long time. J John later supplies us with the information, 38 years in that infirmity. And I would dare say it's not a stretch to understand that this fellow is a fixture there in that place. He has been there for years and years and years. Everybody has seen this fellow who has come to Jerusalem to worship and especially the people who are the residents there. And Jesus walked up to the man and he said to him, do you want to be healed? Well, frankly, isn't that a rather odd question to ask? But it is a simple yes-no question. And what's also interesting, Jesus asked the question, and he didn't get a yes. He didn't get a no. He got a reason why it can't happen. I can never, and of course, there's a pool there. And as the text says, every so often an angel would come down and disturb the waters, and whoever got into the waters first got healed. In all the time of his life there in that place, which probably had been many years, I can never quite get to the pool first. And Jesus says, be healed. Take up your bed and go home. Instantly, the man is healed picks up his cot, and is walking out of the temple precincts, or he's not the temple, he's walking through Jerusalem with his rolled up, but he's near the temple, and the Jewish religious authorities stop him and rebuke him. This is the Sabbath! You're doing work on the Sabbath! You're carrying your rolled up bed on the Sabbath! Well, the fellow who healed me told me to pick up my bed and go home. Who was it? Now notice their response to him. Not, oh, who did this miracle? Who, 
who was the instrument that God used to do this mighty miracle? No. The Jewish religious leaders aren't interested in what God is doing. They aren't interested in mighty miracles. They simply respond with, who told you? Who was that fellow that told you to pick up your bed and go home? Well, I don't even know. This guy just stepped out of the crowd and healed me. Sovereignly healed me. And then later that day or the next day, Jesus found the man in the temple where, by the way, he would never have been allowed to go before because people with physical imperfections were not allowed in the temple. So he's probably in the temple for the first time in his life, and Jesus finds him there and says, don't sin, lest the worst thing come upon you. And that's when he finds out it was Jesus of Nazareth who healed him, and he goes to the temple authorities and turns his healing into them, knowing that makes him the enemy. And it says in verse 16, 516, for this reason the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, And the rest of this narrative is Jesus speaking. But Jesus answered them, my father has been working until now, and I have been working. Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father making himself equal with God. Now, when Jesus says to them, my father, he actually uses a word there that means my father in a unique way. My real, my, my father. The one in a, truly my father. And they understand he is claiming deity. They get that. My father has been working until now. Does my father work on the Sabbath? Does God work on the Sabbath? What would happen if God stopped doing his God stuff on the seventh day? (laughs) The whole universe would fly apart. And as Jesus confronts them in many other passages where they are accusing him of breaking the Sabbath, he says, well, every single Sabbath, the priests are breaking the Sabbath. They're doing what the law says in the temple, and in doing what the law says in the temple, they're breaking the Sabbath law. You can't keep the law without breaking it. You think God might have set it up that way on purpose? Because loving your neighbor as yourself, healing somebody of an infirmity they've had for 38 years, is actually more godly than, so, oh, well, you're going to have to wait another 24 hours in your infirmity. No. And so Jesus has repeatedly rebuked them on this this single issue. But here he says, my father, in a unique way, my father has been working until now, and I have been working. (coughs) This isn't his first miracle. 
Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father in this unique sense, making himself equal with God. And they got it right. And we emphasized that last week. They got it right. He doesn't dispute their conclusion. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he, the Father, does, the Son also does in like manner. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the Scripture tells us that we are to be imitators of Christ as beloved children. We're, we're commanded to be imitators of Christ as beloved children. But you know what? I have never calmed the sea. I've never calmed the storm. I've ne- I'm to walk in his steps. But Jesus is manifesting constantly acts, works that only God can do. Now, he shares that authority with us. He shares with the apostles. He shares with us today the authority to do things that he can only do. He, sh- he hives that off to us. But Jesus isn't backing down one inch. Yeah, you guys got it right. I am God the Son. I am the Son of God. I am the perfect replication. And I'm going to get a little bit crass here, but when we say some. Oh, you're a son of a... What are we saying? You are acting or speaking in a way... Now, typically we are using it in not in a complimentary way, but son of God, son of man. Jesus declares himself to be the son of God. And he declares himself in this same narrative to be the son of man. Well, son of man is their common title for the promised coming Messiah, the Christ. And it comes from Daniel chapter 7, where in that context, you've got the son of man versus these beast-like leaders of these beastly, beastly empires. And the son of man is humanity in perfection. And Jesus lays hold of both titles in this passage. He's not sparing these guys. He's punching them in the face, and they don't want to hear it. No matter how much evidence he presents, they they aren't interested in the evidence. Now, think about this. We just had a testimony from a fellow who the Lord opened a door. He stepped through the door, and a, his co-worker, he heard the gospel. The gospel was explained to him. Even though the fellow had a religious background, was living in, a, he was in somewhat of a religious environment, he's going to church, he didn't understand the gospel. And when he was invited to allow himself to be embraced by God's mercy and grace, his initial response was to hesitate, to, well, maybe a little. Uh, and then, as the evangelist was walking away, no, I want that. <laughs> yes, let's do it. That's a Holy Spirit moment. 
what we see here in all of the Gospels and in the book of Acts is the opposition of the Jewish religious leadership to Jesus. The very people that common sense would say, which is not always right, common sense would say these are the people that should be most eager to hear the truth and run to the truth are in fact in opposition, pointed opposition to the truth. Ladies and gentlemen, that's not unusual. Does that not match? Do we not have so-called Christian denominations in this nation who have abandoned the truth of the gospel, who have abandoned the reality of core Christianity, and yet they still have churches and they still meet and they still pat each other on top of the head and tell each other what fine fellows and ladies they are. And they don't like they put themselves in opposition to they argue against those who speak the truth no matter how much evidence it's not about the evidence it's not about the evidence and Jesus last week we got through verse 30 as Jesus is basically laying out his full claims to these Jewish leaders <coughs> Verse 30, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge. Hear from who? My Father. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. You cannot question my motivation. I'm not here. God the Son became flesh. He became fully a human being with the purpose, ultimately, of going to the cross and paying sin's penalty for us. But he was sent. He was sent by the Father. He was sent. And he obeyed his Father in everything. He obeyed his Father. He laid aside the independent use of his own omniscience, omnipotence, omnipresence, localized himself to a human body, for the sole purpose, ultimately, of paying sin's penalty, being the sacrifice for our sins. And everything I do, every word I say, everything I do, is a replication of God. Now, as I stated earlier, we are told in the scriptures to be imitators of God as beloved children. Well, but we know intuitively, immediately, well, I can be an imitator like, but that doesn't mean I'm a replication in the fullest sense. No matter how deeply you study Jesus, you find no fault. And what is his last real encounter with the Jewish leaders? They're going to have an illegal trial at night in which they can't even get two witnesses to think coach to help get a witness. They finally take him to Pilate, and Pilate says, what are you accusing me about? You just crucified him. Mm, it doesn't work that way. You just crucified him. It doesn't work that way. You just crucified him. And finally, there's going to be a riot if he doesn't crucify him. And so for that reason, unrighteous reason, Pilate has to crucify him. 
but Pilate said, I'm washing my hands of the blood of this man. He found no fault, and Pilate's wife came to him and said, do not have anything to do with this just man. I have been tormented all night with dreams because of him. So he has a warning from his wife. He has his his own intuition. This is what Jesus says in verse beginning in verse 31. For if I, if I bear witness of my, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. Let me back up just a moment. There is another who bears witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. You have sent to John, and he bore witness to the truth. Now, what does Jesus say? If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. What? What he's saying there is not that it's not true, it's that it's not accepted. It doesn't carry any weight in a debate or in a court of law. When someone is accused of a crime and they're brought into court and there's, you know, and there, the accusation is brought against them, and if that accused person says, I didn't do it, what's the standard response of the judge and the court and the, and the police? Yeah, right, well, whatever. It doesn't carry any power. And if a person is bringing a suit against someone else because of the harm that was done to them, and they come into the court and they're presenting their argument to the judge first, they present that argument and the judge says, okay, but I'm not going to make a judgment until I hear the other argument. And then I want to hear what everybody has to say about this. So when he says that word translated true, it really has the idea of it's in a debate or a court situation, just someone's self-testimony doesn't carry much weight. It's the testimony of others who witnessed an event. When all the evidence is on the table, then the judge can decide, okay, this fellow was a truther and this fellow was a liar. That's all Jesus is saying here. But what's he saying? I've got other witnesses. My father, my cleansing of this man of his 38-year-old infirmity was a witness from the father of my claims. And here are some more witnesses. You, Jewish leaders, sent to John, and he bore witness of the truth. You read the accounts of these Jewish leaders coming. I was just This is amazing. So in Matthew's gospel, which some of you are old enough to remember when I went through that a couple of years ago, a couple of years in Matthew, but the Jewish leaders, Jesus, uh, uh, John the Baptist is baptizing people. He's out in the Jordan baptizing. There's a big revival going on. People have been coming, coming, coming. And finally, the Jewish leaders, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the scribes show up. And what does John the Baptist say? You brood of vipers, you snakes, who told you to come here to this? I want to see authentic repentance. So they've gone to John. They actually were trying 
to get embraced by John. He was getting such a positive response to his messaging that they wanted in on some of this positive response. And John the Baptist, no, 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 no. I know what you really are. You authentically repent and we'll have a discussion. You sent to John. You have sent to John and he has borne witness to the truth. What was John's message? Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. God's Messiah is about to come. And they asked him, who are you? We've been sent by the religious authorities in Jerusalem. Who are you? Are you the prophet mentioned mentioned in Deuteronomy? No, I'm not. By the way, that's Jesus. Are you Elijah? Because Elijah hadn't died. Elijah had been taken up into heaven in a in a whirlwind accompanied by a chariot. And the promise, the last promise of Malachi is that Elijah's coming back before the great and mighty day of the Lord. Are you Elijah? No, I'm not Elijah. I am the one spoken of by God through Isaiah the prophet. You're going to be the herald of the king. You are going to be the herald of the king. You're the, you're the one announcing his coming. That's who I am. And that was the core of his message. You have sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Yet you do not receive the... I do not receive testimony from man. I didn't need John the Baptist to tell me who I was. I already knew who I was. And that's not disdaining John the Baptist. He's just saying, I've got much higher authorities than him. And that's not a disdain of him, but I didn't need his testimonies. I did not receive I do not receive testimony from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He, John, was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. Even the Jewish, many of the Jewish leaders came to him, as as I've already mentioned. But I have a greater witness than John's for the works which the Father has given me to finish. The very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. God the Father in sustaining me and empowering me to do these miracles. That is the testimony of the Father to you of who I am. You've got my witness, which I understand doesn't carry a lot of weight because that's them, but I've also got the witness of John the Baptist. I've also got the witness of my miracles. By the way, what miracles did John the Baptist do? None. He didn't have to do any miracles. But he had the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit sweeping people to him and hearing the Holy Spirit's message through him as he heralded the coming of Messiah, the Son of Man. I have a greater witness than John's for the works which for the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. You have seen, you know, you all your fellows have seen this guy at the pool of Bethesda for years and years and years, and you know it was a divine act in his healing. 
That is the testimony from the Father. Verse 37, and the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. How? Well, for one thing, when, what happened when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist? This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And John the Baptist quoted it to his own disciples. And John the Baptist witnessed the Holy Spirit descending from heaven upon Jesus in the form of a dove. I have a greater witness than John's for the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. And the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. The words came from heaven. And John the Baptist repeated them. And by the way, earlier in the the last paragraph of John chapter 3, John the Baptist, as Jesus and his disciples are out doing ministry, and John the Baptist's ministry is getting smaller and smaller because the crowds that have been coming to him are star, have now started going to Jesus and, and his followers and disciples, and John the Baptist's present disciples at that time are coming kind of with a little bit of jealousy. Hey, you know, this guy whom you baptized uh, and of whom you testify, more people are coming to him, to us. And what's John's response? Yay, yay, yay. That's what's supposed to happen. I'm the herald of the king. I'm not the king. He's the king. The Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form, but you do not have, but you do not have his word abiding in you. Because whom he sent, him you do not believe. This is the Jewish religious leadership. And what does Jesus say? You do not have his word abiding in you. Now, folks, in the Jewish culture, these are the renowned, revered students of Moses. diddly squat of what God is actually saying through these words. You do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent him you do not believe. You search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life and these are they which testify of me. They searched the scriptures. They wanted to have a renown as the fellows that had the grip on the scripture because that gave them standing in the Jewish culture. But in fact, when they opened God's, when they unrolled the scrolls and read, where were their hearts? How can I make use of this to gain standing with the community? Not, Lord, fix me. not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent him you do not believe you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life and these are they which testify of me but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life it's not that they aren't reading the scripture and psalm 22 my god my god why have you forsaken me They pierced my hands and my feet. 
they give me vinegar to drink. They cast lots for my garments. Moving right along, moving right along, and I know I've shared with you that every so often the Orthodox Jewish communities will read through over the course of a year or so, they will read through, publicly read through the prophet Isaiah in the synagogue. They always skip chapter 53, which is as clear an explanation of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the reality he Jesus as you will find in the whole Bible. There's nothing in the New Testament that is more clear than Isaiah. But why do they skip it? Because they know who it's about and they don't want to forget. You are not willing to come to me that you may have life. They came to John the Baptist seeking baptism so they could be kind of share in and say, oh yeah, we're good with him, we're good with him for the favor of the people. But John the Baptist knew better. And the same thing is true here. You are not willing to come to me that you may have life. Because if you're an authentic follower of Jesus, you're not praying for yourself. You spend your life praying for other people. The Pharisees, the scribes, pointed people to themselves instead of to the Lord. The church in which they do their job. And that is why in John, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus speaking to hundreds if not thousands of people says, if you don't have more righteousness than the scribes and Pharisees, who are the most renowned Jews, religious men, if you don't have more righteousness than them, you're only God. They needed that. You know, Jesus is actually loving them. Jesus is actually loving them. John the Baptist was loving these men when they came to him because they wanted to stand shoulder to shoulder with him and get his gun. You brood of vipers. He was telling them the truth about themselves so that they would repent. And by the way, we're told in the scriptures, some of them did. Some of them did. But with some folks, evangelism is quiet. God loves you. God loves you. It was a wonderful time for your life. Like with other people, the loving thing is, you're going to hell if you don't repent. They, the Holy Spirit has come, come to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me of righteousness because I go to the Father and you see me no more. You want to have a righteousness God accepts, it better be mine, not yours. And of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. The Holy, one of the Holy Spirit's three principal messages is if you don't trust Christ, there is a consequence. You will join Lucifer in the lake of fire created for the devil. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive honor from men. I don't seek confirmation of who I am from human beings. 
but I know that you do not have the love of God in you. What's the number one command to the Jewish people and in the entire human race? But it's, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he's saying, you don't even get law one right. I've come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. I'm coming in the power and with the words of my Father, and you won't hear me. Who's the author of the scriptures that you claim to revere? My Father. And you won't hear him. How can you believe or receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? And that was their big problem. They wanted human accolades. They wanted human respect instead of God's. To uninformed human eyes, these were super respectable religious fellows. From God's standpoint, you stink. Your righteousnesses are a filthy rag. And that's a very polite translation. How can you believe to receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? Do not think that I came to accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, the only God. The very one whom you claim to elevate and admire is the one who accuses you. Moses, in whom you trust, for if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. Who is the God that did the creation? Moses penned Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. What does John the Apostle, how does he begin his gospel? In the beginning was the word, the logos, the speaker. And the speaker, the logos, was, it, was pros, was before God. And God, and this is the word order in the Greek text, and God was the logos, was the speaker. And all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. And the Lagos became flesh and tented among us. His human body was the tent in which Shekinah glory, the glory of his presence, actually dwelled. Even in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. And God said, and God said, and God restored a judged earth. Moses is writing about who? God the Son, who later became flesh. He's writing about me. He's writing about me in Genesis chapter 3, when in rebuking the serpent, the embodiment of Lucifer, God says, I'm going to make a seed from the woman. And he is going to bruise your head. You're going to bruise his heel. 
Well, a head bruise to a serpent is a killing blow. A heel first strike can be very debilitating. It's not typically lethal. And Isaiah 7, 14, Behold the virgin, the seed of the woman. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and he will call his name Emmanuel. And so all of this, Genesis 22, when Moses is told, Take your son, Isaac. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, to the place that I will show you and sacrifice him. And Moses excuse me, Abraham actually does it with no argument in the text at all. He obeys God, takes his son to that place two days away. And as they're going up the mountain, Isaac says to his father, you have the torch, I have the wood. This is not a toddler. He's a full-grown man. I've got the wood. He's going up the mountain with all the weight of wood on his back. Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says, I think double meaning, not in his mind, but in God's mind, God will provide himself a sacrifice. And of course, as you know the narrative, they built the altar, they spread the wood out, and Isaac is bound by his father, laid on wood. He picks up the flint knife, he's coming down with it, and God stops him. And here is a ram caught bushes in the wood and so he substitutes the ram for Isaac but as far as Abraham is concerned he's coming down with the ram it's a done deal well our father that's a prophetic battle fulfilled in the Lord Jesus God the father sent God the son but he didn't stop himself he didn't stop himself he went from Moses down if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Folks, this is one package. And it all does fit together. A book written over the course of about 1,500 years. And yet, by... Many, many authors, and yet it all fits together. I can't even agree with myself <laughs> in my, my own thinking and writing. Oh, wait a minute. And yet here, this is a mighty miracle of God. He wrote about me. Well, what we've just described in Jesus' encounter here, and if you read the larger narrative in John's gospel and all the gospels and the book of Acts, you'll find the same kind of thing that we encounter. Some people who will hesitate and then step in, some people who will charge in, and some people who will build walls around themselves. Don't you dare come at me with, me with that truth. Don't you dare talk to me about evidence. Don't you dare. Don't you dare. How dare you? How dare you? You're hurting my feelings. I'd rather hurt your feelings than see you spend eternity in the lake of fire. And it is only the Holy Spirit's enabling when we share the gospel that allows people to set aside their own wicked bent 
and favoring of the Holy Spirit leading them into as we share the gospel with people. But we are to minister to people in that way that Jesus did, and many believed. But there also were many who turned away, who turned away. But thank you, Lord, you've given us your presence as we share the gospel. As I indicated earlier, when our brother was sharing the gospel with that fellow in his workplace, who was there, he was invisible, but he was there very powerfully, and he gave life. That's not something we can do. That's something he does. Let's pray together. Our Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for your words and example. You loved the men to whom you were speaking with such powerful, straightforward, straight from the shoulder, punch to the face words. You loved them. Just as John the Baptist loved them when he said to them, you brood of vipers. Some of them did repent. We are asking that you would give us that same loyalty and faithfulness to walk with you in this hostile world to take, look for, pray for, and step through the door of every opportunity you give us to sow the word into someone else's mind and heart. Knowing that you are the door opener. You are the opportunity creator. And you are also the life giver. May we be authentic servants of you. Replicas of you, as the Apostle Paul says, be imitators of Christ. May we actually be imitators of Christ in this place. We ask this of you, good shepherd Jesus. And all God's people said,